time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. It is a Tuesday, another almost summer-like Tuesday here on October 6th. Go figure. Scott Foster in here along with Jason Jorgensen and Dave Schroeder and Susan Littlefield getting us all caught up on all kinds of things that are going on right now. And uh, let's begin with the Farm Department and see what Susan has for us. Susan? Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday coming up from the farm team. Shaley will kick everything off at 1219 as she talks with Glenn Tonzer on the new pork cutout features. Then at 1245, I'll speak with Lynn Crisp. Lynn has spent 25 years representing on the National Corn Growers Association, recently stepping down as chairman with the new fiscal year that started up. But he's had over 30 years of serving corn producers from the local to the national level. Then at 1.17, Bryce will talk about a webinar schedule for Thursday at noon that will cover the recent property tax legislation enacted in the closing days of the Nebraska legislature's last session. That's a midday from the farm team. Well, thanks a lot, Susan. Turn it over to Jason Jorgensen. Jason, you know, we looked at this and we thought, gosh, uh, last part of September, October are going to be really busy. A whole lot of things going on. we got Four baseball games today, two football games last night. Yeah, Chiefs, uh, they're still undefeated. You had, to, you had to suspect they would beat the Patriots with Cam Newton out. Right. right. You're not going you know, to lose to Hoyer at quarterback. So and that was a win for Kansas City. W- wasn't pretty, but they got it done. How about Aaron Rodgers? Wow. He has uh, turned back the hands of time. He obviously is drinking from the fountain of youth. He's been a flamethrower here in the first month of the year with 13 touchdown passes. Four more last night as the Packers are 4-0. They look good. They look better without Mike McCarthy than <laughs> Mike McCarthy does at Dallas, where that's been a dumpster fire. That is a, that's a mess. And, you know, there were some issues with Rodgers and, and the, the new head coach and stuff like that last year. But, boy, they seem to be in sync this year. Yeah, I know someone that uh, had Rodgers on their fantasy team uh-huh. the last couple sure years that he didn't perform, and they got rid of him, and yep. now he's been pretty good. Go, go figure. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> weird how that works out, isn't it? Uh, you mentioned baseball. I Busy did. day uh, here in about an hour and a half. Atlanta, Miami play. Oakland and Houston will play till later on this afternoon. Then tonight, Tampa Bay against New York and your San Diego Padres against the hated oh, LA Dodgers. Just can't beat those guys. But uh, best team money can buy. Yep, them and the Yankees. Also, uh, some sub-district softball going on this morning over in Hastings. Quite a game between Lexington and Holdridge. There, uh, deep in the fifth, in that one ten eight. Ooh. Lexington leads it. Winner moves on. We'll play undefeated to Adams Central. They'd have to beat the Patriots twice to move on. I was involved in a lot of softball <laughs> districts that didn't have this kind of weather. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, I was in Stanford <laughs> so last you. night, and you thought it was uh, you know the end of August. Right. It was great. Beginning of the season. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Dave Schroeder now. Stocks a little mixed right now, Dave. Yes, they are. We're adrifting here in early trading today. The stock's momentum slows following the S&P 500's best day in more than three weeks and another rocky stretch of trading. The Dow is up 0.06%, NASDAQ down 0.31%, and S&P off 0.1% right now. Most stocks, uh, companies that would benefit most from a strengthening economy led the way today, including energy companies, raw material producers, and banks. 
And the U.S. employers are advertising for slightly fewer jobs in August than they're hiring, but the hiring did tick up modestly. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Clay Patton for more. Thank you, Scott. And now let's go to Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics, for a midday check here of the trade. And Mike, I'm seeing another strong day of gains here throughout the grain complex, but in particular, soybeans are the ones moving higher. And uh, we've seen a lot of contracts trade already today in that November, over 150,000. So I've got to wonder how much of this is momentum trading, discash, and money flow coming in, or maybe even the computers being involved? You know, I think it's more balanced than what we've seen lately, Clay, and I say that for two reasons. You're right, the the volume right now is at 159,000 contracts in November. Yesterday's volume was around 112,000, so we're way over yesterday's volume. And we have seen the November tick ahead of the January, and so we've erased the carrying charge market in the November versus January and actually gotten inverted a little bit. That smells to me more of a commercial basis uh, issue or commercial bias coming in and longs uh, coming in on the commercial side to turn that uh, that uh, spread into an inversion. I, I would also finish up with coming into this week, we know the CFTC number was over 229,000 net long for managed money. That's where the hedge fund category is. Uh, that was the highest since August of 2012. So we were really only running about 25,000, 30,000 contracts light of the all-time you know, decade high back in May of 2012 in terms of net long managed money, futures and options for soybeans. So I think they're already pretty heavily invested on the long side. And then you look over at this wheat market as well, continue, and it's Kansas City that seems to be percentage-wise, point-wise, that is the leader to the top side. Is this still a weather-related market, or what is this shifting to? I think it is, and I think we could know the answer or have a better feel for the answer as we go into today's close. And I say that because I think there's two big fundamentals creating this and fueling this current rally other than the technicals, the wheat and the soybean weather. I think those bulls are jumping in. I think also pre-report jitters here on Friday's report coming in about the uncertainty about the yield and the supply side from USDA. So if I'm right about that, today's midday GFS model is showing a bit more rainfall coming in next week for the middle of the country. We're also seeing a U.S. dollar that's starting to firm. And I think most importantly, we're starting to hear that Ukraine has been able to receive some really much-needed rains in their wheat belt. Russia's still very much an issue, but Ukraine seems like they're getting better. So we'll see if maybe some of this weather sneaks in. And if it does, we maybe will see that be pulled into the market price in terms of some of these key resistance levels, 385 corn, 1045 beans, 595 soft red wheat. Those levels aren't closed above. We go over to the livestock page, and when we talk about a strong soybean market, typically that means that the soybean lean hog trade is on, and we see some strong gains here. But October, December, I'm now noticing that spread almost up to $14. Anything to be concerned about there? Yeah, I mean, I think this is where your investment money is at play, and that's why it's pretty balanced, I think, today, because that pork and bean trade. I think you'd need to look at the pork and bean trade, but then you also look at what happened in no feeders. They took out last week's low of 139.05. We've got sell stops probably that were found. All of a sudden, we dropped almost two bucks below that. So I think you've got a real issue with the fundamentals, and I think those spreads really do matter a lot. Watch that cash market and the fat cattle of 107, whether it can hold together this week, and also watch the 20-month moving average in fat cattle as well. 
That is Mike Zuzlo with Global Commodity Analytics. Catch Mike's commentary every day as a podcast at RuralRadio.com. If you'd like to talk with Mike directly on how he can help manage the risk on your farm or ranch, visit GlobalComsResearch.com. That's GlobalComsResearch.com with two M's on the com. And there, mention the Rural Radio Network. Receive a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter and analysis. Do remember, though, training futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Great. Time for us to check in on our weather, and Paul Perkins stepping in here once again is uh, a chance to see how our weather is affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And Paul, uh, it's uh, it's awfully. Awfully dry as we see another hurricane rolling into the Delta. And it looks like all of that moisture is going to go way away from us, well over the southeastern U.S., uh, yeah, hitting the Gulf Coast, uh, headed towards the Gulf Coast for late this week. Right now, rated at a Category 4 hurricane. Yeah, it really picked up, and it's Delta, so that's uh, about 25 in, I think. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) That's really something. Now... There is some talk that we might get some rain, and that rain maybe that will be some help out the fires in the west too. Maybe exactly, right? yeah. Over the northern, uh, uh, kind of towards the rocky states, a uh, chance of some rain coming up early next week. It probably won't amount to much by the time it gets here because right. a lot of that moisture does get wrung out over the mountains. But uh, maybe a little rain in our forecast for early next week, and yeah, maybe that could help out those people in Wyoming and Colorado uh, fighting those big fires right well, now. Well, that would be good. And talking to talking to farmers, they would mind settling that dust just a exactly because we got pretty good window here of some uh, uh, ideal harvest weather coming up here over the next 14 days at least right now we do have temperatures in the upper 60s to low 70s pretty nice fall day across the area of course warmer than normal for this time of year because usually in central nebraska during this time we see daytime highs in the low 70s but once again most of us in the upper 60s to the low 70s and pretty much clear skies across the area you may be seeing some smoky uh, hazy sunshine as you do head towards western areas but overall looking at sunny skies today those summer-like temperatures expected 15 degrees warmer than average hazy sunshine across western areas for today in western nebraska northeast colorado and then northwest part of kansas due to the wildfires in wyoming and colorado our southwest winds will be somewhat breezy today just ahead of a low pressure trough Fire weather conditions up near critical today, but no red flag conditions are expected. Warm and dry weather will persist through the weekend, continuing the elevated fire threat in our area as a ridge of high pressure builds east across the plains. Despite a backdoor cold front slipping in from the northeast tomorrow, our temperatures will continue to be about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal all the way through Sunday. But we will see some slight changes for early next week. won't last long. A cool front will cool our temperatures briefly to slightly below average on Monday, and there could be at least some light rain in central and western areas, but this system coming in from the northwest, and usually that moisture gets wrung out over the mountains. In the long-term forecast, temperatures will be mostly warmer than normal for Nebraska, Kansas, and the rest of the entire U.S. for Sunday through October 19th. Now, there is an exception. That lone exception is when parts of the northwest and north central U.S. cool to seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures for early next week. Otherwise, that outlook, once again, above normal on the temperatures through October 19th. 
Now, the plains look to stay mainly dry for harvest. The low number of rainfall remains likely for Sunday through October 19th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central and southern plains, especially actually in the later periods, looking drier than normal as we head towards the 19th. So, a big window here for harvest. Weather factors driving the markets include the continuation of dry weather in the central U.S. and additional dryness for Russian wheat areas. Hurricane Delta, now a Category 4 storm, will approach the U.S. Gulf Coast. With landfall expected somewhere from Louisiana to western Florida by Friday or Saturday, Delta could become the fourth hurricane this year to strike the U.S. Gulf Coast. In the Corn Belt, mild weather allowing corn and soybean harvest to rapidly advance. The overall soybean harvest is 38% complete. The recent dry weather reducing soil moisture, though. Indiana and Nebraska lead the Midwest with topsoil moisture rated 67% very short to short. The decreased soil moisture also slowing winter wheat germination and establishment. Topsoil moisture rated at least 60% very short to short in each of the Plains states. The exception is Texas at 48% very short to short. Colorado leads the U.S. with an 86% of its intended winter wheat acreage planted. That's 13 percentage points ahead of average. Central Brazil crop areas will see increasing rain chances over the next seven days. That rainfall may be enough to indicate the start of the rainy season and encourage active soybean planting. The start of the rainy season will be more than two weeks later than average. Major, major Russian wheat areas will stay mostly dry through the next week. That continues the pattern in the Black Sea region where no more than 20% of its normal rain has fallen in the past six days all right well i have a question for you and if you don't know the answer i want you to do your homework i would like to know when the last time what when was the last day we had a decent rain you know <laughs> that week after labor day and a lot of us in as you go into That's western true. areas of the central part of nebraska and farther west it really didn't get a whole lot but um uh, but parts of eastern Nebraska actually That's got true. about four inches yeah, away they that did. week. But uh, it's it's been after Labor Day, so we're looking at more than a month here already. Wow. And and again, like you said, it was the weather was poor during most of that. But and they had talked about a chance for rain every day there. Yeah. But it, you know, maybe a little bit here and there. Yeah, was, a few people maybe yeah, a third of an inch, a half an inch, and yeah, a lot of course areas in central Nebraska towards Minden and Hastings had their driest. June to September period ever. Wow. What a what a what a year. We've had a little bit of everything, but <laughs> I'm glad that for farmers that they can get out there and get stuff done yep, now. Yep, exactly. Definitely dry and warm for that right All now. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, KRVN.com. Cutout Futures will help the pork industry with risk management. I'm Shaley Peters back with you on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're going to visit with Glenn Tonzer, Livestock Market Specialist with K-State Research and Extension. Glenn, you talked about this very recently, and of course we heard at the end of September the CME Group's announcement uh, that it plans to launch the Pork Cutout Futures and Options coming up here at the beginning of November, and you kind of worked through what benefits we're going to see, especially in the way of risk management for our producers so give us some background first glenn and then we'll talk more about the benefits here yeah so i mean the history predates me uh, i grew up on a hog farm in missouri for those that aren't familiar with me so you know my interest in these kind of products for the swine industry and more broadly u.s livestock industry goes back uh, pretty much my entire life but the background on these instruments so futures and options contracts 
more broadly that are available for livestock producers uh, to mitigate price risk associated with their operations goes back to the 1960s. Uh, in many ways, you could start the story with the pork belly contract um, that, again, showed up in the 1960s and was very um, creative, novel, and first of its kind at the time. And, of course, since then, we've had the lean hog contract and then corn contracts and lots of other developments have occurred. Um, what I'm trying to impress on your listeners is, is the suite of tools or instruments that are available to mitigate price risk continues to evolve. And CME's most recent announcement that early in November they're going to be offering the pork cutout contract is just the latest in that history. And in visiting with you, Glenn, about this, you did note the importance that it is not just a risk management tool for producers, but really for pork buyers as well. And so as we talk about uh, how this will work within the industry, let's focus a little bit more on our producers and and what they'll be able to do with this tool. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess first and foremost, you know, why would somebody have an interest in a tool like this? is if the market presented a pricing opportunity that you wanted to quote-unquote lock in. So if you if the market was sending a signal that you could lock this price in and you think it's advantageous to give you a target profit for your operation, uh, that's what triggers those edging activities. Uh, similarly, if the next few months look very risky and you're not comfortable with that risk, so the uncertainty is too high for your operation, then folks look for ways to mitigate that risk to kind of live another day. Uh, those are both very broad comments that apply to interest in any financial instrument. This specific one is uh, interesting in the sense that how we market market hogs has evolved over time. And more and more live animal producers that have a contract with a packer who's going to harvest the animals have a pork cutout as a component of that agreement. Now, it varies all over the board what percentage that is, but the pork cutout as reported by USDA is increasingly directly relevant for the market crisis received by somebody raising those hogs. And this tool potentially allows them to more directly hedge that price with us. So uh, hopefully I started broad enough to help you understand why there might be an interest at different times. If the market is good and you want to lock it in, that's good. If you're concerned about downside risk because of uncertainty, in 2020 and COVID has taught us a lot about uncertainty in many ways, that, then this instrument will probably be of interest to certain producers. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Glenn Tonzer, Limestock Market Specialist with K-State Research and Extension, again visiting with us about the new cutout futures that the CME Group has announced. Those will launch again November 9th. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is stepping in and another busy day in athletics. Baseball, obviously, if you're a big baseball fan, postseason, four games today. We'll get to that here in a moment, but you have some interesting news uh, here for Nebraska. Yeah, this started to percolate on Twitter in the last hour or so. Numerous reports say Nebraska is going to host the largest pool of teams of any school in college basketball this season. Plans are for a 16-team tournament in Lincoln. LSU, Northern Iowa, Nevada, Illinois State, and Cleveland State are among some of the teams that will be involved. Talking about men's college basketball, yeah. right? you got a bubble here. Wow. Uh, they hope to bring in a bunch of other teams that certainly can travel in and drive in if they wish. Now, that mm-hmm. wouldn't work with LSU, but now this would be in the non-conference. 
I haven't heard dates yet on this, but this would be kind of cool for them to pull this off at uh, Pinnacle Bank Arena. This upcoming season? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're going to turn this thing around in a month? Two months, Allegedly. Per- perhaps? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that'd Hus- be good. Huskers picked up some good news yesterday. Trey McGowan's received a waiver from the NCAA, and he's immediately eligible. He's a good player. He transferred in from Pittsburgh and signed with the Huskers in April. He has two seasons of eligibility remaining. Six-foot guard from South Carolina started 64 games for the Panthers over the last two seasons. He started 32 of 33 games a year ago for Pitt, averaging 12 points and four assists per game. Keep in mind, this is ACC basketball. Right, yeah. and once he legit. Yeah, he, he legit is players. legit. Yeah. All right. Of course, with Husker hoops. <laughs> I'll see it when I believe it. But at least he's eligible. They didn't know if that would happen. Well, there's certainly been some growing pains for Nebraska football head coach Scott Frost for the first two years. While things aren't where he would like them to be, he does feel they made progress. We've covered a lot of ground, probably still have some ground to cover. Depth has been one of the issues, per your question. Um, We're a lot closer there than we have been. Um, Feel really good about certain positions, some others that... Uh, we could still use another guy or two, but we're deeper than we have been. Nebraska continues to prepare for its season opener at Ohio State in two and a half weeks. Now, I'm glad Coach Frost has learned his lesson. He was really careful in this press conference. He said, I'm not going to go out there and say we're this much better because you guys will take that and run with it. Well, he was the guy for two years who told everyone things were going to be so much better so maybe tamping down expectations isn't such a bad idea I think it's one thing to get everybody excited about this season and obviously you're always trying to say we're going to be better obviously you want the team to think that as well but I think there also has to be some realistic Uh, expectations and especially with this year as well I had someone ask me yesterday, what do you think? And I said, have you seen the first month of the schedule? Uh, that's that's a lot to chew on, especially yeah. when you haven't been very good. No, and you're going to Ohio State. Now, I know we've discussed this. You're not going to have the fans there, but you're still making the trek there, and it's not an easy place to play. Although I do think you're better off to take on one of the heavyweights earlier this year than later on. Agreed. I, I think with everything that's gone on and everyone's training and practices messed up, Nebraska and Ohio State, if they're to play those people, that's that's probably the best week. Well, that's a good point. The last thing you want is Ohio State made of a, a whole bunch of future NFL stars to uh, get things figured out and then play them and get beat by 70. So we'll see. Baseball this afternoon in a little bit. Miami versus Atlanta. Later on this afternoon around 3.30 Central Time, Houston and Oakland. Then tonight, the Yankees in Tampa Bay and San Diego and the Dodgers. NBA playoffs continue tonight. Game four with the Lakers in Miami. Also, a sub-district softball. Lexington just outlasted Holdridge 10-9 to at the B9. They're getting set to take on Adam Central, who's 2-0 and so far in the tournament. All right. And that game, when is that game? Uh, they're starting about right now. Okay. So 30 minutes after the last pitch. We know all about that, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> from we yesterday. Do. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Thank you very much. Witnesses took the stand Monday to testify in the Bailey Boswell murder trial. More from KRVN's Bob Brogan. Lincoln Police Department Detective Bob Hurley was back on the stand Monday afternoon. Hurley explained he obtained still shots off video of Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail at Ameristar Casino in Council Bluffs, Iowa on November 17, 2017. The state then called George Sherry, general manager of the Best Western Plus in Lincoln, 
He confirmed Aubrey Trail and Bailey Boswell stayed there on the evening of November 14th into November 15th, 2017, the day before Sidney Loof disappeared. The state then called Matt Workman a multi-unit asset protection manager at Home Depot. Workman verified a receipt from purchases Trail and Boswell made on November 15th included drop cloths, hacksaw blades, and a box cutter knife. Defense attorney Todd Lancaster said cameras in the store did not show who put the items in their shopping cart. Lori Orman, Aardvark Antique Mall manager, was called and she confirmed Traylon Boswell had a space rented at the mall. Her testimony placed both defendants at the mall on the day before Sidney Loof's disappearance. Sandy Anno, district manager for Dollar General, confirmed purchases made at the Wilbur store included large hefty trash bags and Clorox bleach on November 15, 2017, the day before Loof disappeared. Another receipt the next day shows the purchase of Drano Max and Drano Liquid. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. We'll have updates from Bob today as court proceedings continue. With the ongoing pandemic, the Lexington Volunteer Fire Department was unable to visit Lexington Public Schools for their annual Fire Prevention Week. Instead, they created informational videos to distribute to the schools to educate students grades preschool to fifth grade. LVFD offers these tips when fires occur in the kitchen. There are several places in the kitchen that can be very dangerous. Do not touch the top of the stove, even if it is turned off. It could still be hot and burn you. If there's a grease fire, do not throw water on it. It could make it worse. Place a towel over it or sprinkle baking soda on the grease fire. Do not place anything metal in the microwave. Remember to remove your silverware before turning on the microwave. The department also says if you are a kid and need to light something, always ask an adult to help. And if there is an emergent fire, call 911. Some of the biggest conservative names in Nebraska politics are lining up against ballot measures to legalize casinos, which they argue would fuel an increase in gambling addictions and related social problems. Opponents of the legalization measure include Republican Governor Pete Ricketts, former Governor Kay Orr, and U.S. Representative Tom Osborne, a former Nebraska football coach. Voters will decide next month whether to allow casinos at state-licensed racetracks in Omaha, Lincoln, Grand Island, Columbus, and South Sioux City. In-person early voting for the general election started Monday. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. It's fall, which means that we're about to fall in line and deliver lunch to hungry grain truck drivers in central Nebraska. Keep an eye out for us. We'll be driving a Pony Express Chevrolet pickup with the best barbecue and beef around from Skeeter Barnes and an ice-cold bottle of water. Get ready for a full belly and to fall in line with KRVN, The River, Cami, and... Skeeter Barnes, the best steaks and barbecue south of I-80 in Kearney. Pony Express, Chevrolet, Gothenburg, and Pony Express Ford in Minden. And Downey Drilling in Lexington, Kearney, and Garden City, Kansas. For over 25 years, a Hastings, Nebraska grower has served the National Corn Growers Association. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I had the opportunity to catch up with Lynn Crisp as we talked about his 25 years of service to the National Corn Growers Association, of which I asked what was one of his fondest accomplishments. The, my biggest uh, highlight and and where most of the difference came was in service to the risk management action team. 
that national identifies and uh, there's been uh, many successful projects worth noting uh, over the years in that policy arena and uh, early on in my involvement as a Nebraska board member I participated in the development of the producers credit to set the stage for Nebraska's ethanol industry and uh, as a member of the National Corn Growers Risk Management Action Team, uh, we created ACRE, which was the first revenue-based commodity program, Safety Net, and Title I. And uh, that effort opened up the door that uh, was done for Arc County as well. So that's a couple really good uh Title I uh, projects that National Corn was involved in that I had an opportunity to work on. And so there's others uh, along the way that have been important that uh, has served our membership uh, well in that uh, we improved the enterprise uh, crop insurance by equalizing the premium contributions, which flipped the use of the enterprise crop insurance from producers' uh, um choosing that as a, a, a third of their uh, opportunities over to today where it's uh, closer to two-thirds. So uh, there, there's uh, been uh, many projects that I've worked on over the years. I would think, too, how much agriculture and the corn industry has changed in those 25-plus years. It uh, has and uh, a, a lot in that uh, technology arena and uh, – uh, when you bring up the the question of the use of technology, then uh, that brings up another project that I was able to work on in uh, that uh, uh, a team of uh, producers through the National Corn Growers Association uh, worked with the Risk Management Agency to uh, establish GPS harvest production and planning acreage reporting uh, within the use of that technology and uh, in our age of satellites and data collection is made for increased opportunities to provide value for our farming operations so yeah there's there's been a lot going on in farm country over the last 25 years what about involvement from the corn producer i think that the producers in general have uh, come to really understand just exactly how much effect uh, the policy arena has on agriculture and uh, has supported uh, the Nebraska Corn Growers and the National Corn Growers Association in their advocacy roles because uh, whether it's dealing with the legislation initiatives in uh, Congress or whether it's dealing with uh, regulatory issues, that policy arena has an awful lot to say about what we do day-to-day on our farms. What type of advice would you give to somebody who has decided they want to take an active role, maybe starting out on on the state level with the aspirations of someday being the president of National Corn Growers? Well, the most important uh, part of that whole consideration is just making up your mind that you want to be involved. And uh, 
position yourself uh, to where you can uh, make your thoughts and your uh, points uh, known. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I have had an extremely good uh, opportunity over the years doing that, and there isn't a reason why uh, somebody else who wanted to dedicate uh, a little bit of time, you know, couldn't get involved in uh, making uh, a difference for the farm industry as well. What about mentors? Did you have anybody that kind of sticks out in your mind that was a mentor as you moved through the ranks? Early on, uh, Rod Gangwish from Shelton was uh, one that uh, sticks in my mind right away. And uh, when I first got involved with the Nebraska Corn Growers Association, he was in a situation where he was president and leading the group uh, in that early effort uh, to establish or make a change from a blender's credit to a producer's credit. That's my conversation with Lynn Crisp as he talks about his really 30-plus years of dedication to corn growers from the local to the national level. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Stocks were drifting today following the S&P 500's best day in more than three weeks and another rocky stretch of trading. Many big tech stocks carried Wall Street back to record heights during the summer were wavering today. U.S. employers advertised for slightly fewer jobs in August while their hiring ticked up modestly. The Labor Department says the number of U.S. job postings on the last day of August was down 6.7 million from July. A year earlier, employers posted 7 million job openings. Hiring in August edged up to 5.9 million, slightly above the 5.9 million job applicants hired in July. U.S. trade deficit rose in August to the highest level in 14 years. The Commerce Department reports that the gap between the goods and services the United States sells and what it buys abroad climbed 5.9% in August to $67 billion. The politically sensitive deficit in the trade of goods with China fell to $26 billion. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is warning that while strong financial support from the government and the Fed have spurred a solid recovery from the pandemic recession, the rebound may falter without further aid. He said that government support including expanded unemployment insurance payments, direct payments to most U.S. households, and financial support for small businesses have so far prevented a recessionary downward spiral in which job losses reduce spending, forcing businesses to cut even more jobs. And the 2020 theatrical release calendar is getting even slimmer with Batman pushed up to 2022 and also the Matrix sequel pushed back as well. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. And 
opportunity to learn more about the recently passed Nebraska property tax legislation. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Today we are joined by Dave Aiken, a professor of agricultural economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Dave, there is a webinar set for this Thursday to cover this topic of property tax legislation, which was just passed in the past session. Remind us of the details of what was in that compromise, so to speak, which was passed earlier this year. Well, uh, as far as property taxes are concerned, it will be uh, roughly 6% um, state income tax credit, which people will will be able to claim uh, 6% of what they paid to the local schools uh, through their property tax. So that will be, that's a big change. Uh, It was part of a three-part deal. Uh, Two other parts were uh, establishing a new uh, economic development program for the state of Nebraska, and then uh, authorizing uh, state support for uh, a new uh, pandemic research facility at the uh, Med Center in Omaha. So those were the three the three parts of the deal that uh, that allowed the property tax to happen. And frankly, uh, without being tied to those other two. Um, proposals, the other two parts of the deal, you know, we probably wouldn't have seen property tax relief this year. It sounds like lots of background work trying to uh, gather gather and sort through all this information, but uh, it will be put together in a webinar again coming up this Thursday at noon. Tell us what producers can expect if they're able to join. Well, we will uh, talk about what does this mean to uh, property taxpayers and we'll kind of walk through uh, how folks can get a ballpark idea of what uh, their state income tax credit might look like when they file uh, their state income tax return uh, next year. Uh, then we'll, we'll go through the, the background. Um, there'll be people who are disappointed that we didn't have greater property tax relief, and I'll explain what are the political factors that made that difficult to achieve. Uh, we'll also talk about what's the what's the timeline. Is the 6% kind of the, the end of the road, or does the legislation look at, at uh, greater property tax relief uh, as uh, the economy in Nebraska recovers and economic conditions uh, return to something that is more like normal? So we'll be going through that, and hopefully people will have a better understanding of how hard it was, how what a big political challenge it was to get to this point, uh, and have some idea of, of uh, what needs to happen down the road for the uh, greater promise of a larger property tax relief, uh, what needs to happen for that to come about. The webinar that we're talking about, registration is free and can be completed online at the website farm.unl.edu slash webinars. Dave, final thoughts from you. What else would you like to add? Well, uh, we're in kind of an uncertain time now. We've got a big national election, uh, you know, just around the corner. So uh, it's it's been a wild ride uh, the last few months, and I don't see that slowing down for a while. So, you know. Hang on to your hat and enjoy the ride. Hang on, indeed. We appreciate the information. That's Dave Aiken, a UNL professor, and I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network.
Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we look at the closing grain futures with John Payne of St- Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, looking across another strong day of gains, but we start to see some pullback here at the close. Anything to glean from that, or is this just maybe some light profit taking in the afternoon? I, I think it's the latter. You know, um, the forecasts are have taken rain out of Brazil a little bit. There's still some rain, but uh, not certainly at the intensity that we saw, at least in the southern part of the country. Uh, and then the second factor is the, the, the hurricane has shifted west a little bit, so they're now putting it straight up the delta, which, you know, it's going to shut down the port of New Orleans for a while. So that, that I think, is the push that came here. Um, you know, <laughs> 1080 is the high from before this whole trade war started. So go back to April of 2018. Um, you know, when we were trading 1080 front month. So that kind of, for me, feels like a nice round number to target. Don't know if I would be willing to wait that long. If you're long, you know, certainly I guess it's an upside target for you. If you're short, I think you got to hold it there. So um, obviously it's it's not great to see the kind of pullback we saw, you know, 10, 15 cents like that. But in reality, I don't know if it matters. I think it's it's much more important to see how we close Friday. Exactly. And now we've got uh, going when we see this type of buildup in the long position going into it, especially in that soybean complex, going into a report like Friday, is there the possibility that we could have downside? And if we start to see that downside, does liquidation come into any part of the mindset? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just you're going to hear a lot of talk about COT reports and how everybody's set up the same way in 12. They were set up that long in 12, but just just to remind everybody, they were set up long in 11 as well. So meaning this doesn't always correlate perfectly with price action, but what it does do is when you catch a move or a big type of event that changes the dynamic of the currency markets, of the production markets, or the demand side, those three things, and if it happens fast, you're going to have people looking to reposition. And that's what we've seen, I think, really since going back to August. I remember Goldman Sachs printing some trade. They were, you know, we get newsletters from everybody, and they had recommended selling corn at like 360. And they were right. It went from 360 to 320. But then it came right back off again. I think a lot of those folks were taking trades off. So at this point in time, I mean, I, I think you have to be hedged at some degree, at least, at least with some cheap put option just to get a floor out there. I mean, this is a... a I don't like to call it a gift because you deserve everything you guys get, but this is a little bit of a helpful move that I think you should take advantage of because things can change rather quickly in this world. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing. If you'd like to learn how John can help you manage the risk on your farm or take advantage, as he calls it, these ducks in the air right now with high grain prices, visit DanielZagMarketing.com. That again, DanielZagMarketing.com. But to remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Thank you very much, Clay. That will wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. If you missed anything, you can go back and listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors. That is available at krvn.com or iTunes.